Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You go with me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Hallelujah. I'll attempt to preach the message I was going to preach this morning. Didn't get a chance to. Lord took us a different direction. And uh, so we'll try this tonight. Praise the Lord. But you know what? Whatever the Holy Ghost wants to do. Amen. It's the Word and the Spirit. It's not just the Word. It's not just the Spirit. It's the Word and the Spirit together. Is what makes us strong. Amen. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and be converted. As I mentioned last Sunday, I think a lot of people are, a lot of people repent, but they're never converted. Hello. Said so a lot of people repent, but they're never converted. They repent, and then the next day they're just repenting of the same thing over and over again. Sometimes at some point you need to get converted. Well, amen. That's a freebie. That's not even part of my main message. Won't won't charge any extra for that. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Notice from the presence of the Lord come times of refreshing. From the presence of the Lord comes time, come times of refreshing. From the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord must be in manifestation. Amen. Amen. His presence, when it's in manifestation, when he manifests his presence, it refreshes. I'm refreshed. How many of you are refreshed tonight? Amen. Notice it says times of refreshing. So it's not just a one-time thing. Repeated, recurring times of refreshing. Where do they come from? From the presence of the Lord. We know other translations talk, uh, translate this word times of revival. Times of revival come from the presence of the Lord. There are times of refreshing. There are times of revival. And the church experiences times of revival from the presence of the Lord. And we need those. We need to be revived. I said this morning, I did touch on a couple of things. I said, revival doesn't come just for no reason. From the presence of the Lord, the Lord sends times of revival and he does so for a purpose. Most of the times, many purposes. Amen. We've been experiencing revival here for over a year, about a year and a half almost. Just a spirit of revival. And it's refreshing. Amen. And we talked about some of the reasons the church needs reviving. And uh, those, those reasons include because the church backslides. The people of God always backslide. Now, I didn't say you always backslide. I'm just talking about in general. Over in the Old Testament, 
prophet said to the children of Israel, you do always backslide. If you know anything about his, Israel's history, they would, they'd, they'd backslide. Then God would raise up a prophet or a judge or some mighty one, you know, anointed of the Holy Ghost, would call them back, you know, to his presence and back to obedience. And there would be a time of, of revival in, 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 in the nation of Israel and they'd get serious about the things of God. And then that generation would pass away. What would happen? They'd backslide. And if you look at church history, you see that, that the church has gone through seasons of backsliding and then being revived and backsliding. Being, well, the Lord sends revival to, to bring us back from backsliding. He sends revival to, uh, to provide uh, uh, a reawakening of some things. We talked about this morning that, that we're to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard lest at any time we let them slip. And sometimes the church uh, lets them slip. The, the actual literal, trans, literal translation says, lest we drift away. And sometimes the church drifts from certain truths and certain uh, experiences and certain uh, uh, understanding. And the Lord will send times of revival. We also know if we look at the next verse, verse 20 says and he, that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Listen, everything God's ever done, he is yet to do. I said everything he's ever done, he's yet to do. All of the moves of God, all of the demonstrations of the Spirit, all of the things he's ever shown us and shown the people of God, he'll do it again. And he says times of restoration. Notice that times of revival are tied to times of restoration. The Lord wants to restore some things. The word restoration, if you look it up in the dictionary, it means a putting or bringing back to a former normal or unimpaired state or condition. A putting or bringing, bringing back to a former, normal, or unimpaired state of condition. God has been working to bring the church back, to restore. It's not that he has to restore anything that he's taken away. He restores the church to certain things that have been there all along. God's never withdrawn his hand. He's never withdrawn his gifts. He's never withdrawn any aspect of redemption. But the church lets things drift away. And thank God he restores us. Amen. The thing I want to talk to you tonight about is that uh, he brings revival and restoration to reawaken a slumbering church to the return of the Lord. To reawaken a slumbering church to the return of the Lord. We are exhorted in the scripture. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we have some scriptures to look at tonight. We have a lot on our agenda tonight. But you know what? There's time for everything the Lord wants to do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Verse number 4. But you, brethren, you are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Talking about the day of the Lord, which is the uh, tribulation period. You are sons, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. 
Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Notice sober twice. Let us be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not or did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify each other, just as you, just as you are also doing. You see, in, in relation to the, the, the end times and the return of the Lord, he's telling us that we need to be sober-minded. Amen. That we need to be aware of the times in which we live. We're exhorted to be watchful, to eagerly wait for his return. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Turn quickly to these scriptures so we can just read them and uh, have time to get them in. Hebrews 9 verse 28. Christ was also offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Notice, we're supposed to be eagerly waiting. Eagerly waiting. If you're eagerly waiting for something, you're anticipating it. Amen. If you're eagerly waiting, if there's a package coming in the mail and you're eagerly waiting for it, you'll check the mail two or three times a day. Isn't that right? You're checking on it. You're, you're wanting to say, has the, has the postman come? Has, it, has, has FedEx been to the office yet? Has it happened? I'm looking. I'm expecting. You tell the office, listen, I'm waiting on a package when it comes in. You call me. Wherever I am, I want to know it. I want to get, why? You're, you're eagerly awaiting. You're expecting something. We need to be stirred up about the return of the Lord. Amen. We're, we are to be looking for it. Turn to Titus. Turn to Titus and look at chapter two, verse number 11 through verse 14, Titus two. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Yeah, but it's not popular to live that way. That's exactly why we need to live that way. Yeah, but nobody else in this age is living that way. That's all the reason more for us to live. Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, zealous for living right, zealous for pleasing the Lord. This is the blessed hope of the church. Hallelujah. We're supposed to be looking for it, expecting it, eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord. And turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Hallelujah. And look at verses number. Hallelujah. First, chapter 3 rather. Verse number 2. And verse number 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. 
And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Whoo, enough, what, just what's been revealed so far is good. <laughs> just knowing who we are, what we have, what we have seen. He said it hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, that is when he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a purifying uh, effect when you're looking for the return of the Lord. When you're waiting, for your, when you're eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord, it has a purifying effect. It, it, it makes you not want to see how close to the world you can live, but how close to God you can live. Not how much you can get away with, but how close to the Lord you can be, how much you can please him. Amen. You, you, know, you, love, you know he loves you, but you also want to please him. Because he's coming back. He's coming back. I, I don't want to be called unaware when he comes. Amen. Go with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. I'm having to hurry tonight because I have two messages I've got to preach. And, and Mark preached one of them already, so all I'll have to do is hit the highlights. Only I didn't have the business about the kiss, but you know, I have to add that to my notes. Verse number, are you in Luke 21? Verse 34, take heed to yourself. That didn't say take heed to your neighbor. Didn't say take heed to other people. Take heed to yourself. Mind your own business. Take heed to yourself lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness. Well, you know, we're sanctified people. We don't do that. How about cares of this life? They're equally as weighty. They weight you down just as much as carousing and drunkenness. I say they weight, they weight you down just as much the cares of this life. In Mark chapter four, he talks about the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the desire for other things. A lot of, there are a lot of good things that the Lord will let you enjoy, but you can't let those things take your life. You can't, can't let them take control of you and, and take a, an inordinate place in your life. They have to be kept at bay because they're dangerous. If they get out of control, your desire has to be 100% for the Lord and, and, and anything left over is for him too. Amen? Glory to God. He said the cares of this life, take heed to yourself lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly. How can it come unexpectedly? Because you're weighted down with other things you're no longer expecting. You're no longer eagerly awaiting. And when you're not expecting, he said it'll, it, it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch there and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And then finally, turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 
and look at verse number 28. Verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him that when, excuse me, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We don't want to be ashamed when he returns. We don't want him to come back and us be weighted down, our lives being weighted down with other things, whether sinful things or unsinful things, non-sinful things, things that are okay, but they're just, they've taken too great a place in our life. We don't want him to return and us be weighted down and not expecting and not, because if you're not expecting his return, you're not living for his return. If you're not expecting his return, other people around you aren't expecting his return because you're not pointing them in that direction. But when you live every day with an expectation, oh, hallelujah, he could come today. He could come today, praise God. He is coming. Jesus is returning for his church. It's going to happen. Just as sure as the sun came up this morning and will come up in the morning, it will happen. He is coming back. And we as the church must awaken ourselves. We must stir ourselves up. We must be sober-minded and have our attention focused on him. That's what he wants. Now, I said that, but when I was preparing this, I also realized I need to touch on something that has caused a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. When I talk about us being ready for the Lord's return, when I talk about us purifying ourselves and getting ourselves uh, ready and being expecting, a lot of times people have had the idea that if you're not uh, living just so, when he comes, you won't go in the rapture. Let's examine that. See what the Bible says. It's called, this is called the partial rapture theory. And those who hold this theory teach that believers who are not looking for him, who are not counted worthy, who have something in their lives that might make them ashamed before him at his coming, or do not have oil, the fullness of the Spirit, will be left behind to go through the tribulation. Advocates of this theory believe that only those who are fully worthy will go up in the rapture. But what does the Bible really teach? First of all, you will notice that in the Bible, all through the New Testament, you see the word sanctify, and, and that's a verb, and you see the word saint, and it's a noun. And the word saint simply means sanctified one. That's what it means. To sanctify means, one, to dedicate, to consecrate, to set aside holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy unto the Lord. Number two, it means to clean, to cleanse or to make clean. What you need to realize is that positionally, every Christian is sanctified the moment he is born again. And I'll show you those scriptures. Turn with me to First. Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are three different kinds of sanctification. 
We're talking about positional sanctification. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 11. In the previous verses, it talked about all manner of uncleanness and, and, and sinful things. Verse 11, it said, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And go then over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verses, we'll look at verse number 13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. For we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you to salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look, look at verse number 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, Paul opened many of his epistles by addressing the saints. And all the believers in these local churches were called saints. Even the carnal ones. Go to 1 Corinthians. Well, you're you're in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse number, chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Notice he said to the church which is at Corinth, to those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus and called saints. If you'll notice in, the, in your King James Bible where it says called to be, the words to be are in italics. Do you notice that? That means those words aren't in the original text. They were added by the translators. And what, the way it really reads is called saints. All of you at Corinth, called saints. Now, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, it was far from perfect. There were some problems in the church at Corinth. And there were people in the church at Corinth who weren't living right. Amen. In fact, verse number seven, he says, so that you come short and no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, and again, that you may be is in, is in italics, who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's called them blameless. And then, he, and then he spends the rest of the epistle blaming them for just about everything under the sun. <laughs> blaming them for the way they lived and the way they acted and their attitudes and all sorts of things. The point I'm making is, and if you you look at the book of Romans, he introduces it to the church at Rome and all the saints. 
First Corinthians to the church at Corinth and all the saints. Second Corinthians to the church and all the saints. Ephesians to the church at Ephesus and all the saints. Philippi to the Philippians and all the saints. Amen. Well, even, even the carnal people in the church, you know their church is just like ours. In fact, if you read the book of Revelation, some of them weren't as good as some of our churches. That's some real problems. But notice, they're saints. They're sanctified ones. Now, that is positional sanctification. There is also a progressive sanctification. Because when a person first comes to the Lord and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he is born of God. But how many of you have had experience with other people, not yourselves, of course, but other people, who were a little less than perfect after they got born again. Still had some things they needed to straighten out in their lives. Still had some conduct that wasn't exactly everything it should be. They weren't exactly a mirror of godliness. Amen. But God received them and they're called saints. In fact, if you go through the New Testament, sometimes just run your reference and look at every time you see the word saint or saints. Generally in the epistles, even getting in the book of Acts, all the way through, the word saints is used generally for Christians. They're called saints, the saints of God. Amen. God does not distinguish between believers conferring sainthood on certain especially pious ones. Amen. There is a, there is a, a positional sanctification. There is a practical uh, sanctification or progressive sanctification in the life of the believer as we grow in the Lord. And then there is a final or complete sanctification that will occur when the Lord returns. Amen. Well, go with me then to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice he didn't say say terrify one another with these words. (laughs) He said comfort one another with these words. I want you to notice he said the dead in Christ will rise first. If all who have died in Christ will be resurrected, certainly all who are alive in Christ will be raptured. If you're in Christ, you're in the church. Notice, all who died in Christ, even the ones that weren't perfect. You know your in-laws? That, that were Christians, but you know they weren't perfect. Some of your family members? Yeah, they weren't perfect. He said, he says right here, the dead in Christ, those who are in Christ will rise. Well, if if all of them are gonna rise, then all of us are gonna be called away. 
The key is who's in Christ. Amen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Certainly the Lord will not wait until the generation alive at his coming to make distinctions between believers who are worthy and those who aren't. If that's the case, this is the sorriest day to live. I mean, what a sad affair to be, to be alive in the last days when we have a stricter judgment than those who lived before. No, that's not true. Amen. If you found 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed. How many of us? All. The worthy ones? How about the unworthy ones? The perfect ones? How about the unperfect ones? He said we shall all be changed. Hallelujah. Of course, this does not include the unregenerate who are just professing professing Christians, of course, but those who have genuinely been born again, he said we'll all be changed. Hallelujah. Besides that, if only the worthy are to be called up, who will go? I mean, who can claim worthiness in in and of themselves? Our standing with God is based upon the righteousness of Christ, not the righteousness of our good works. In fact, the Bible calls our good deeds filthy rags. Our worthiness is not based in us, it's based in him. His worthiness, his righteousness. Well, only those who are completely sinless. Well, well, who who here can, can claim sinless perfection? If there's somebody like that, raise your hand. I want to meet you. We'll give an altar call for liars. Even James, the apostle, who wrote, you know, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, wrote the epistle of James. He said, we all miss it from time to time. He said, even we all. Talking about himself, including himself. Amen. Well, then who's going in the rapture according to that? Amen. Turn with me to Matthew 25. I imagine Matthew 25 has been used and abused as much as any passage in the New Testament to teach something that that ought not be taught. And we might as well dig into it. Amen. Matthew 25, verse number one. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I heard all of my life this passage of Scripture used to teach that that some of the church isn't going, that we're not all going in the rapture. The, the wise virgins, virgins rep, uh, uh, represent those who are living real close to the Lord, and really, really, really close. And the foolish are those who, who have things in their lives that aren't right and that when the Lord returns, you're not going. Well, does this teach that? They've said that, others have said that you have to be filled with the Spirit. That's what the oil represents. Some have said if you're not full of the Spirit, you're not going. Well, every believer ought to, ought to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of that fullness is not to make us worthy, which is accomplished by the blood of Jesus. The purpose of the infilling of the Spirit is to empower us for service. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Matthew, well, what is the answer to this? Like I said, I've heard it preached all of my life when I was young that, that the Lord makes a difference between some Christians and some are going and some aren't going. The problem comes back with not rightly dividing the word of God. Go with me to chapter 24. Chapter 24 and 25 go together. What Jesus said in chapter 24, he continued his theme in 25. Amen. In chapter 24, it says Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to show him the buildings and the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, sometime after that, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Older King James says the end of the world, but that that word just simply means age. The end of, he said, well, they said, this was the question. They really asked three things. When will these things be, the destruction of Jerusalem? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, what age do you reckon they were, talk, they were talking about? They could not have been talking about the church age because they didn't know anything about the church age. The disciples asked the question. Jesus answered it. Jesus answered their question. Their question had nothing to do with the church age because they'd never heard of the church age. The only time Jesus had ever mentioned the church to them was in Matthew 16. He said, I will build my church. I've taught on the word church and and what that means, the word ecclesia, and it was a word that was very common to the Jews and it had a a meaning because in the Old Testament it was translated into the Greek language, it was called the Septuagint, and that was the Bible they read from. That was the translation. We read from the King James, they read from the Septuagint of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament Septuagint, that that word ecclesia meant God's assembly the congregation of Israel. Well, when Jesus said, I will build my church, his disciples probably looked at each other and said, well, that's new. His church, 
his congregation. So they, they could not have known about what we know about the church. All they knew that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And so they, all they knew was, knew was, well, Jesus is going to have a congregation. He's going to have an assembly. But to think that they knew about the church age, they didn't know. It was completely not revealed in the Old Testament. It was one of the mysteries that was hidden from the Old Testament. And it was the Apostle Paul who actually revealed in his epistles the the mystery of the church and the church age. It was something that was completely hidden. They had no idea. They had no idea that when Jesus, when he talked to them about him leaving and being crucified, they had no idea there was going to be an interval between when he went away and when he came back. They could not have imagined 2,000 years would have passed. So when they asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, they could have only been asking about the Jewish age. It's the only age they knew about. It's the only age that ever been revealed in the Bible. There was no revelation given about the church age until the epistles. So Jesus then began to talk to them about the things that would happen at the end of the Jewish age. We know that the Jewish age was suspended when Jesus was raised from the dead. When he, actually, when he was crucified, went to the cross. The Jewish age came to an end. You have to study the book of Daniel. In the ninth chapter of Daniel, you'll see that, that so many weeks was allotted to the people of Israel from a certain point. And that so many weeks of years uh, passed and that that age stopped when the Messiah was offered up. And that age doesn't begin again until the church is taken out of here. There's seven years, there's one week left of the Jewish age. It's a seven-year period and it will, it will commence when the church is raptured out of here. When the church is raptured out, the, the world will go back under the Jewish age. And that last week of the age will be played out. Well, when they talked about the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, Jesus talked to them about the sign of his coming and the end of the age, the only age they knew anything about, which is the Jewish age. So in this scripture here, he talks all about the great tribulation and the things that are going to happen and what, and what people need to be prepared for and how they need to live and so forth. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some some things that we can glean out of this, particularly in the first few verses, because many of the things of wars and rumors of wars and, and, and nation against nation and all of that, that's going to happen during the tribulation. Well, though, you know, things in the world, world conditions don't just turn on a dime. Nations don't align just, you know, you get up Monday morning and, and nations have all changed and realigned. These things take time. And there's a, there's a, there's a crossover a bleeding over from one age to another in some of these conditions in the world. And so we see some of these things going on today, but he's really talking about what will happen during the, the last age, or the last week of the Jewish age, the end of the age. Well, in chapter 25, I don't have to go into all of chapter 24 and 25, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven being likened to ten virgins who took their oil and went out to meet the bridegroom. At the end of the tribulation period, the saints that come out are the believers who uh, survived during the tribulation period, most of whom will be Jews, but some Gentiles as well. They will be looking for the Messiah. They will be looking for the return of the Lord. This is who he's talking about. This is not even addressed to the church. Chapter 
Chapter 25 is not addressed to the church at all. So to try to make something out of this and say, well, some Christians are going, some Christians are, he's not even talking about that. He's not even talking about a rapture. He's just talking about when the, when the bridegroom comes, that those who are ready during the, those who, who, uh, during the tribulation period are ready, they'll go in. Praise God. It's not talking about us. Amen. Well, I just want to clear this up because it causes a lot of, of unnecessary concern. Amen. Now, there's a message in, verse, in chapter 25, and it simply reinforces that Christians need to remain vigilant and ready. But it doesn't teach that part of the church is going because, again, all who are in Christ, all who died in Christ will be raised. Well, then all who are alive in Christ will be caught up. Amen. Finally, the proponents of the partial rapture theory, as well as those who believe that the church must go through some or all of the tribulation, contend that tribulation is necessary to purify the church and make her ready for the bridegroom. Well, this belief would seem to call for a sort of Protestant purgatory. Because if the saints alive at the end of the age need purging by tribulation, it would seem that the Lord would need to resurrect the dead saints for a period of tribulation too. Amen. I mean, why would we need to be purged by tribulation and others? Now, most of you know people who, who have gone on to heaven and in their day, they never really saw persecution other than maybe their neighbors didn't like them because they were saved. But as far as really enduring persecution, never saw any. Well, if we're going to have to be purged by tribulation, something's not right. Amen. No, I mean, he would have to raise those people up and put them to, through a tribulation time. That's absurd. No, we're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But... At the same time, we don't need to be in fear. We don't need to be in fear of our salvation, but we do need to be looking for his return. We need to be living in a way that we will not be ashamed at his coming. When he comes back, I want, to, I want him to find me with my hands full. I want him to find me with people that I've blessed and I've mended. I want to bring some people with me. I want to have some fruit with me when I go. I don't want to come up to him empty-handed. Amen. There is a judgment of rewards. The judgment seat of Christ, there's a judgment of rewards for Christians, but it's not a judgment to see whether you're saved or not. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just barely get in. I, I, want, I want some reward in heaven. I mean, heaven's a big reward, but I want to have some things go with me. I want to hear the Lord, well done. Not well done. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Can you say amen to that? At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.